Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're glad that you're present with us. Uh, Danny wanted me to mention that if you would like to fill out an attendance card, if you're one of our visitors, we'd be happy to have a record of your attendance today. We appreciate so much those who visit with us on a regular basis. We're grateful. And it might be the case that you're looking for a church home. And we want you to know that we would love to have you come and join hands with us as we do everything that we can to exalt the name of Christ in this community. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5 in just a moment. I do want to wish our fathers a very happy day. We're very thankful for all of our fathers. We're thankful for the great example that you are. To those of us who are in this congregation, we appreciate so much your love, support, and encouragement through the years. And we're thankful that you mean so much to us and have meant so much to us through the years. One other thing that I wanted to mention, I appreciate Donald preaching in my absence last week. I'm very thankful for Donald and his family. We're grateful for their work here at Olive Branch. We have a lot of talented people that make up the church here at Olive Branch, and it's great to know that we have so many people that can band together and do the work that the Lord would have us to do in this area. I want us to talk this morning for just a moment or two about a father's love. Today is, as I said a moment ago, Father's Day. I'm not sure that those of us who belong to the human family can truly appreciate unconditional love until we have a child. Those of us that are parents, we have had the joy of holding in our hands that which Moses describes as bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. There is nothing quite like the blessings associated with having children. I can understand why the psalmist many, many years ago said, Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. It is a tremendous joy to be a parent. I would grant that with parenthood comes many, many responsibilities. And as parents, we do our best to be the kind of parent that God would have us to be. And so when I think about love, I understand that as a husband, I have the responsibility of loving my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And the word love that is used by Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 is agape love, underscoring that self-giving, sacrificial love that is to be present in that relationship. And while as a husband or even as a wife, we love our mate, again, I'm not sure that we can truly understand and appreciate unconditional love until we have a child. Everything changes. A lot of dynamics change in the relationships that we have here upon this earth. And so there's a special bond that is forged with children. In Mark chapter 5, we have an account of a man that sought out Jesus because his child, his 12-year-old daughter, was sick. And the bottom line, he wanted 
the help of our Lord. I think that in this instance we are garnered a picture of the love that a father has for a child. I want to begin by talking for a minute or two about this man named Jairus. And the Bible tells us in reading this account that he sought out the help of Jesus. In verse 21, the Bible says, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Let me just pause here. By way of background, we don't have a lot of information about this man, but we do know that he was a religious man, a Jewish man. He was a ruler of the synagogue, and those who were described as rulers or the chief of the synagogue had certain responsibilities, one of which was to identify the one who would publicly read the scriptures in that setting. And then he would strive to make sure that everything in that worship setting was conducted properly or orderly. So here is this religious man, and the Bible tells us he has a great burden. His heart is heavy. And the reason is because Mark tells us in verse 23 that his little daughter was at the point of death. Now, a little bit later in the chapter, the Bible's going to tell us that this young girl was 12 years of age. Hadn't really gotten started living. Just a child. And so, as a father, naturally, his heart is heavy. He's burdened. Just as we would be if we had a child gravely ill. The Bible tells us that Jairus became a beggar. Note what is said again in verse 22. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. I think about his humble adoration. No doubt he was mindful of Jesus. I suspect that he had knowledge of the great power that Jesus possessed. We know Jesus, the Son of God, came performing many, many miracles. Many people were astounded, astonished at the great miracles that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry. And the Bible will talk about the fame of Jesus because of the great miracles that he did, because the miracles authenticated the fact that he was who he claimed to be, the divine son of Almighty God. And so this man humbly comes and falls at the feet of Jesus. I suspect, had we been living at that time and had a child at the point of death and knew of Jesus and the great power that he had, that we would have done likewise. But note, if you would, his hopeful appeal. The Bible says that he begged him earnestly, saying, 
My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. This man had a lot of faith in Jesus because he expresses that faith in these words. First, asking Jesus to come and then verbalizing his confidence that Jesus had the power to heal her. There have been a lot of parents down through the ages that have had sick children. There have been some children that have been at the point of death. And there have been a lot of mamas and daddies that have gotten down on their hands and knees and they have prayed to Almighty God that the life of that child might be spared. I believe in the power of prayer. And I'm grateful through a kind providence that Almighty God has responded favorably to many of the prayers that have gone up before his throne on behalf of his people. I think about the words of James in James chapter 5, verse 16. When James said, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's a privilege to pray to Almighty God, but there's power in prayer. And so this man expresses tremendous confidence in Jesus. So he sought him out, and then secondly, according to Mark, he secured the help of Jesus. In verse 24, the text simply says, So Jesus went with him. I want you to think with me for just a moment about the response of Jesus. The Lord didn't have to go, wasn't compelled to go, but he chose to go. Again, the text says that Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. I think about this great host of people. And they're in the presence of the Son of God. And here is this religious man, this ruler of the synagogue, who comes and falls down at the feet of Jesus, imploring his help, and Jesus willingly complies says something about the character of Jesus. I think it shows, first of all, his great compassion to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has compassion for the human family. In Mark chapter 1, we read about a man that was a leper. And the Bible tells us on one occasion that this leper came to Jesus and fell down before him. And he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And the Bible says that Jesus had compassion on him and touched him and said, I'm willing, be clean. The Hebrew writer tells us that we have not a high priest who, who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one who has been tempted in all points, yet without sin. What you and I need to understand is that Jesus Christ is compassionate. And then there's a second thing that I think is borne out in our text. Not only does it show that Jesus is compassionate, but it shows he cares. You know, if Jesus didn't care about the human family, if he didn't care about people, he would have been unmoved by the appeal of this man. I mean, after all, Jesus was busy. 
He has a lot of work before him. He had come to do the work of his father, as he said in John chapter 4. He said, my work, my meat, is to do the will of him who sent me. He would say in John chapter 6, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So Jesus is somebody who cares. I want to ask you a question today. Does Jesus care about you? You better believe he does. When we talk about Jesus being moved sympathetically to help this Poor child. But I think about the care that Jesus demonstrated for those of us who belong to the human family in going to the cross, in giving his life for the sins of the human family. To think that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. As Paul said, yes, even the death of the cross. So the Lord cares. You know, Peter said, casting all your care on him. Why? Because he cares for you. The Lord Jesus Christ cares about you. And there's a third thing. And that is it shows that Jesus has the ability to cure. We talk about Jesus being the great physician. When Jesus called Matthew to become one of his disciples, one of his later apostles, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they chided his disciples. They wanted to know, why does your teacher eat with publicans and sinners? And Jesus said that those that are whole have no need of a physician, but those that are sick. You see, Jesus came to heal the human soul. But in healing the human soul, during his earthly ministry, he healed the physical body on a number of occasions. Jesus has the ability to heal the physically sick, the mentally sick, and the spiritually sick. And he did so. So we think about The response of Jesus. I want you to think with me now for just a moment or two about not just the response of our Lord Jesus Christ, but consider what takes place in the home of Jairus. Drop down with me, if you would, and look at verse 35. There is an interlude here. In our text, another woman comes forth and desires to be healed by Jesus, a woman that had been suffering with a blood disease for some 12 years. And so down in verse 35, the Bible says, While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, I want you to think about the report given to Jesus. And the report was, as we would say, grave news, bad news. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? I don't know if there could be any any words to surpass 
words like that. Here's a father, and he has just gotten word that his daughter is dead, 12 years of age. So the bottom line is, no need to bother Jesus. But note how Jesus offsets the grave news with great news. Jesus heard the word that was spoken and said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. You want to talk about some good news? Some great news? Here is a guy that's in the presence of Jesus and he is begging that the Lord Jesus Christ intervene and help his daughter. He's just been told his daughter's dead. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Only believe. I recall on one occasion, Jesus and the disciples being in the midst of a sea that was under siege. And Jesus on that occasion said, do not be afraid. What do we have to fear when the Lord is on our side? You know, Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, it's in this context, the Bible tells us that they ridiculed Jesus. Drop down with me for just a moment. And note what is said in verse 40. The Bible says they laughed him to scorn. And there was some reason. There was some reasons for that. Well, there was a reason for that. And that is because Jesus had said in the presence of these people, the child is not dead, but sleeping. You see, you have all these mourners that have assembled. Think about going to, to the funeral home. And you've got people weeping and wailing. They are inconsolable. They have lost, they've lost this child. And Jesus walks in. And Jesus said, look, she's not dead. So they ridicule him. Note if you would, those who are present with him. In the house, the Bible says he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. In verse 38, the Bible says he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw, the, saw tumult. And those who wept and wailed loudly, some would say these were paid mourners. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Either Jesus is who he claims to be or he is a fraud. And that's going to be borne out in the text. So Jesus, again, asked the question, Why do you make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he took the father and mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study very quickly. That is the fact that Jairus was satisfied with the help of Jesus. Listen, if you would, to what is said. We think about those who were present with Jesus. 
those very special disciples and the father and mother. But then think about the power of Jesus. Here's what the Lord said. Little girl, I say to you, arise. The resurrection by Jesus, verse 42, the Bible says, immediately the girl arose and walked, and she was 12 years of age. We talk about the power of Jesus, the Son of God. And over and over again, Jesus demonstrated his tremendous power on earth. Little wonder why the apostle Peter on one occasion would say to Jesus when he had asked, who do people say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. In John chapter 6, when Jesus fed multitudes of people with just a few loaves of bread and, and a few fish, identifying himself as the bread of life, the Bible says many went back and walked no more with him. Jesus then asked the question, will you also go away? And Peter spoke up and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. And we believe and know that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle and demonstrated his deity. But he was the Son of God. That's why John could say in John chapter 1, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I want you to think for just a moment. We talk about the resurrection by Jesus, but note the reaction to Jesus. First, there was amazement. The Bible says they were overcome with great amazement. They were absolutely astounded. Here is the Son of God. He's taken a 12-year-old girl that is clinically dead, She is, as James would say, separated from her spirit. And Jesus has brought life to her. The miracles that he did demonstrated his love, his care, his compassion for the human family. And more importantly, underscored the fact that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. So they were amazed. You might even ask the question, Why such amazement? Jesus had been doing great miracles, great wonders. But again, all of these wonders and miracles were done to accentuate his deity. And then there was the admonition. He commanded them straightly that no one should know it and said that something should be given, to, given her to eat. She was brought back to life by extraordinary means, wasn't she? But she would be sustained by ordinary means. Food. Water. After Jesus was raised from the dead, you recall he ate with the disciples, with his apostles. I want to just close by saying this. To me, this account is a tremendous picture of the love that a father has for a child. This man... This ruler had a sick child. The greatest thing that he did was seek out the one 
that could have helped. That was Jesus. Here's what I want to say to those of us that are fathers today. The greatest good that you can do for your children, seek out Jesus in your own life. Seek Him out, serve Him, submit to Him, live for Him, and teach your children about Him. One day, known to God, this world will be over. And all the things that we accumulate, all of our achievements, and all the things that we do in this life will be but a memory. And we'll stand before the Son of God and give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or bad. The most important thing in this life is to fear God and keep His commandments. The most important thing that we as parents can do is lead our children to Jesus, the Son of God. This man got his daughter the help she needed. He got the great physician involved. We've had a lot of young folks that have been baptized into Christ in recent months. It's because as a parent, you've tried to bring your children to Jesus. It's because we have a strong youth group. We have great teaching. But as our children grow and mature as fathers, as mothers, our goal, our prayer, is that our children will one day be together in eternity with us. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the opportunity to worship, to serve you, to live for you. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have in our country to recognize and to show our appreciation to those we call Father. We're so thankful for your word. We're grateful for your great love. And we're grateful that you have blessed us with the ability to procreate, to bring children into this world. Give us the wisdom to lead them in the paths of righteousness so that one day we might all be together in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It might be the case that you're here today and you're not a Christian. <clears throat> If you're a mama or a daddy and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to become a child of God today. Because you see, you have little ones that are watching what you do, what you say. They're watching where you go. They're watching everything you do in life. They're like a sponge. What you want to do is lead your children so that one day they can be in heaven. It all starts with you. Here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, 24. And then to repent, to turn from a life of sin, as Jesus said in Luke 13, 3. To confess His name before others, Matthew 10, 32. To be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that you might enjoy the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2, 38. To be faithful until death, to receive the crown of life, Revelation 2, 10. 
If you're here today and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, could I encourage you to come home? You know, the Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you today as we stand and sing.